If you have a Bible, I want to um, invite you to grab it, and let's let's take it to Matthew chapter 28. Um, what we like to do here is we like to look and see what the Bible has to say about things. Um, it is our source. It is sola scripture, uh, what the reformers fought for over 500 years ago, which by the way, happy Reformation Day. I'll get into that in a minute. Uh, just, just in case you've never heard, today is Reformation Day. It is when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the bulletins uh, to contrast the heresy of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, I'll talk about that in a minute. Only because I have to, because it's October 31st. There's another holiday out there, but I'll talk about it too. Um, what we like to do here is we like to go through the Bible, uh, and, and most often what we do is we go through books of the Bible, but every now and then we want to speak to kind of culture and speak to us as a community of faith and just look at topics from the Bible. And so for the past three weeks, we've been looking at what it looks like for the kingdom of heaven to be here in Cedar City. And uh, today I want to just kind of reinforce that and, and really kind of get into the practical uh, things. What does it mean for heaven to be advanced in our city and our nation and our world today? And you're going to find that Jesus is going to give us a strategy and how to do that in this particular passage. So Matthew's gospel, if you don't know where Matthew's gospel is, just find the New Testament. It's right there, the very first book, or you can go into your table of contents and look it up. Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to pick it up in verse 16. As I have said about the gospel of Matthew, there, there is a lot of kingdom message um, going on in Jesus's language. Um, and it's not some kingdom future as a dispensation to be had. It is a kingdom um, realization that it's here now, that the kingdom of God, his rule and his reign is right now. And it's nothing that we have to wait in anticipation for. You're going to find that Jesus is going to really set that tone for everyone who's listening that his kingdom rule is now, and it's here. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, if you're there, give me an amen, just so I ain't got to keep blabbing on and on and on. Okay. Hey, and shout out to everybody who walked and was in the parade yesterday. Okay. Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped. And I love this right here, but some doubted. Uh, but Jesus came near and said to them, and here we go, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. There's a little trinity right there for you. Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus here is giving and laying out a purpose, a strategy in how to advance heaven and kingdom of heaven's rule on earth now. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, 
This is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that's okay. You get to hear the adventure that the rest of us get to be on. And maybe perhaps you'd wanna join in that adventure. And so right here we see that Jesus gives his church a critical mission, a crucial mission, and how that he is going to advance the kingdom of heaven's rule on earth right now. Uh, the reason why this is so um, critical for us is that we are to stay on this mission, right? It really just kind of in lies the success of our church. Now, success is kind of an interesting word, especially when you use it in the realm of church world. Nobody really uses that word when you're talking about church. You don't really kind of think of the word success. What does success look like for a church? That's my first question that I have when I'm reading through this gospel. Is it have the best preaching? Is it have the best worship? Is it have the best kids ministry or is it have like incredible Sundays where tons of people are showing up? Is that, is that the success of a church? I would suggest that it's not. Our, our success is going to lie in how faithful we stay to the critical mission and strategy that Jesus gives us, which is to go and make disciples. Now that's, that's really freeing, right? because that really places a load off me that I don't really have to be the best pastor or the best preacher. I mean, if you watch an Auburn game with me, you'll really find out that, is this guy even saved? <laughs> During the game, I'm probably not, but God is still sanctifying me. It, it, kinda, it, it really takes a load off of ministry work that we do here, that our success isn't how incredible we grow or the social media likes that we have. Now, our success is going to lie in how faithful we are to the strategy that Jesus Christ uh, just laid out. Just go and make disciples. Now, this vision and strategy that Jesus gives uh, isn't anything new. Jesus has always had this strategy. It starts right here where the church is about to be uh, launched on the day of Pentecost. And, and this is, again, Jesus' strategy. Go make disciples. Now, let me kind of break out and exegete this text line by line, precept upon precept, if I can. Notice what he first says here, that he says, all power has been given unto me. Now, this is um, really incredible news because Jesus is displaying and really communicating that his rule and his reign, it, all power now here. Like, it's not all the power has been given to me um, when I return to you. No, this is the kingdom message and really just kind of the bow across uh, the nation and all the nations that Jesus Christ's rule and reign is right now. All authority, all power right here. His kingdom begins and his rule starts here on earth. All the power, all of the authority. Now, if I am a secularist or if I am a non-believer and I hear this whole crazy talk about Jesus being this ruler and this king, like bringing his reign and his rule down now, I'm thinking, yo, is Jesus like this crazy guy who's going to like oppress us and like, like make everybody like bow down and like he's going to like force like fire down his eyes and like burn us all up? 
Like, because I'm thinking, like, maybe if I'm a non-believer, I kind of see this. Is this like Jesus, some dictator who's going to crush us? Now, and you remember now what had just happened. This is Jesus who is saying, um, I'm ruling, and, I, and I'm lovingly ruling over the people, even those who just crucified me. My, my rule is for them also. My rule and reign is for those who just nailed me on the cross. My rule is for them too. Jesus' rule is not this oppressive, life-sucking rule and reign. It is a gentle, tender rule led by his grace and truth. Now, the guy who's writing this knows a little bit about this. Matthew, the guy who is a tax collector, as I believe I've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, he knows and he, he knows a lot about, about that authority rule that kind of just I don't know, shakes you at your core, right? And just kind of the piercing eyes of Jesus really just got down to the heart of Matthew. And Matthew saw that authoritative, gentle, graceful love And it was enough for him to leave the mafia of Rome that was oppressing the Jews because of his tax collections. And when he locked eyes with Jesus, when Jesus gave him those, uttered those words of just follow me, that's the type of authoritative rule that Matthew was talking about. That rule that pierced him to his heart. Me? The guy who's oppressing God's chosen people? You you want me? That's the authoritative rule that Jesus is talking about here. All power, all authority. I don't know why my mind goes to that song. I've got the power. Like Jesus got the power, y'all. And his rule and reign is here right now. Now, then he's going to give us a plan, okay? So we've got this idea that here's the kingdom of Jesus. Here's his kingdom and rule reigning here right now. He's not just going to leave them hanging like that. Like, all right, y'all, I'm ruling and reigning. Work it out yourselves. Now he gives them a plan. Jesus is a strategic thinker. And all my strategists out here should have said amen. Because I scour at you at times. But Jesus here gives us the strategy on how you're going to advance this kingdom of rule, this ruling of God's kingdom here now. And he's going to give you a plan on how to do it. And he said, what? Go make disciples. That's the plan. This word um, is a commanding verb, make disciples. And it's not just for the 11 disciples who are listening here. This is a universal command to all believers to go make disciples. And let me just kind of break it down for you real quick, just in case um, there's any confusion about our church. This command to go make disciples isn't left just to me. This command isn't just left to small group leaders. The command to make disciples isn't just left to uh, elders or um, ministry leaders. This plan to make disciples is for all who believe. You cannot take away discipleship from being a Christian. You have a bad, um, I don't know, definition of Christianity. This is God's plan and purpose for everyone. The plan is, go make 
disciples. There are two aspects to this, one in which is missional, right? reaching out, going, and the other one is pastoral in nature, and that's the teaching part. That's the going and, and shaping them. You know, sometimes we make discipleship just so complicated. Discipleship's not complicated. Teach them to obey Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Like we got discipleship like 101. Here are the 4,765 steps to be a disciple maker. Now that's an over-exaggeration, but Jesus gave us one step. Just, just teach them everything I showed you. It's not hard. It's not complicated. So how do we do this? So he gives this word go. Now go here, it is an imperative use. It is a as you are going type use here. So Jesus is saying, boys, while you're going out into all the nations, you're making disciples. Think about that in terms of where we are today. Um, if vocationally, if you are in school or just in your neighborhood, maybe you're, you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever you're doing, what, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you are going on mission, making disciples. This is what Jesus is saying. Here's the strategy. Here's how you're going to do it. Go. Where are you going? Making disciples. That's where you're going. I love Mark's account of this when he says, go make disciples. Mark's account is just a little bit different. Mark's account says, um, go and preach the gospel. Now, gospel is the euangelion message. And this is a political term again, right? This is Jesus um, using this word gospel. They would use this word anytime there was a change of leadership in the empire. There would be some guy, the euangelion or the angel or messengers, where we get that word, who would have to go out into all of the empire of Rome, proclaiming the message, hey, the empire is still intact. We're still good. He's still oppressing us. All is fine. Right? Because if he said anything else, then the poor guy would just be shot or not shot, but stabbed to death. So it's his job to be that one guy who's telling everyone, good news, gospel, good news, empire still intact. Here's Jesus turning the political term upon themselves, saying, good news, y'all. There's a new king in town. And my rule just isn't for Rome, but my rule is over all the earth. And you go take that out. And his kingdom rule is now, again, not in some futuristic event, but the message of Jesus and the kingdom rule is here now. Go advance that message. Again, it goes back to this idea where pastors are just expected, especially Christians. We're just expected to just stick with Jesus. But man, Jesus here just got all political on him. And I'm sure as soon as this message goes out to the empire, Boy, oh boy, these poor Jews who are proclaiming this message, as we will find out some 50 years later and, and on into just decades into this movement, the persecution gets heated on them. You know why? All because of that political phrase, Jesus is king and his rule is now. 
Caesar didn't like that too much. It was offensive. It was a slap in the face to them. That's why in Galatians 5, 11, he says, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, awkward, why am I being persecuted? If, in that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul is saying this message is going to get me persecuted, and for it, I will die, because Jesus is king the president is not king. Let's break it down in like reality. You're not the king of the universe. And sometimes I feel like that. I feel like, you know, when somebody cuts me off or if somebody, you know, is just rude or nasty to me, I'm like, who are you talking to? Do you not know me? What is that inside of us that drives us to that response? We're the king of the universe. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. There's only one king and you will advance it. Go. Now, I like this when he says, so go make disciples. So wherever you're going, you're making disciples. You're proclaiming Jesus's rule now. That Jesus has saved me. He has brought me from the depths of hell and redeemed my soul. And you're proclaiming, taking that out. And I love what Matthew does. He says, and baptize them. Remember Matthew, this Jew, this guy who is a Jew, if he were to say and circumcise them, then this message would have been just for the Jews. But I love how Matthew is like, no, y'all, this ain't just for the Jews. This is for everybody. And there's going to be this new covenant between us and God, and that's going to be baptism. So Matthew is illustrating this message that this is for everybody. And then he says, teach, observe, and obey. Now, he's not just telling them that, listen now, I want you guys to get into a great small group, and I want you to absorb everything that you can. And I want you to listen to all of the podcasts. I want you to find all of the sermons out on YouTube and absorb and absorb and absorb and absorb. You know what that creates, like spiritually obese people, where we're all just like so consumed with knowledge, but then we don't do anything with it. He doesn't just say, just observe, but teach them to also obey. So what you instruct them to do, there has to be some type of level of obedience taking place. Listen, if the gospel has penetrated your life, then surely that gospel of grace has captivated you enough to want to live that out. Right? It is not this works-based mentality where we think that we have to um, appease the gods for his favor upon us. No, it's that grace captivated you, and then you go out and live the life of Yahweh, of King Jesus, his rule, and taking that out. This is Jesus's simple message and really simple instructions of how his kingdom is going to advance. And he's going to use all of us to do this. In football, there are many commentators in the world. I am one of them. And I think I'm a very good commentator. 
maybe more of a cheerleader, the male kind. If my team was struggling, I don't think my team would reach out to me and say, hey, Matthew, can you coach us? Now, I know this may come as a shock to you, but I never played football. I was the band guy. Okay, I know. Gasp, not ye, okay? And I wouldn't want me to go down and instruct them how to do their job better either because I have no personal experience in playing football. I would want someone, rather, who's been in the game to instruct me. I would want someone who's, who's taken a few hits, right? I would want the tough guy, the one who can lead us to the victory. And this is what we ought to do also as a church. Those who not only are just commentaries, commentators, but those of us who are in the game playing on the field, playing and reaching out and spreading the gospel. That's who is called to teach. That's who I would want to teach me to observe and obey. So Jesus outlines this. What does heaven advancing on earth look like? It's going, right? Wherever you are in your neighborhoods, up in your your jobs and your vocation, moving towards people who don't know Christ. It is also baptizing people, bringing them back into a covenant relationship as an external expression of what Christ has already done inside of you. And also this teaching, just teaching people to obey. And then lastly, he gives this. It's sort of like this promise. And this strikes me as incredible because Matthew, he uses this language of God with us throughout his gospel. In fact, in the beginning of the, the gospel of Matthew, he, he, he talks about this, this idea of God with us using the language of Isaiah. And then in the simple last section of his gospel, he tells us the same thing and this, this promise that I am with you. In my view, one of the most powerful phrases in all of Scripture, that Christ is with you. There's a promise for us. And could you imagine the, the listeners of those? I'm just a fisherman. Why would you use me? I mean, even Matthew, who, who is like turned on his own people, and Jesus looks at him and says, and I'll be with you. All these common folk, all these men and women who are skeptics. And like, if you notice what he said, he said, um, the, the disciples were there, many were there and, and they believed. And then there were some that what? They doubted. The very next word says, but Jesus drew near. And we kind of think this doubting thing is so terrible. In a sense it is, but in another sense, what does Jesus do? Does he slap all of those jokers who are doubting in the face? How dare you? I was just dead and you're still doubting me? Like you saw me being brutally beat to death and you're still doubting me? What does Jesus do to them? He draws close and he gives them this promise that I'll be with you. There's moments of doubt, I'll be with you. There's moments of thinking like, Jesus, I, I really think you've got the wrong person 
I mean, surely these people are thinking, man, I'm just a fisherman. I'm, I'm just this. And why would God want to use me to advance his kingdom rule? And sure, that's a great question to ask, but you're not going to do it by your own power. But all power that has been given unto Christ Jesus to go out and take that message of Jesus Christ is now in you. And it will not be by your power, but by the spirit of the living God. And so here's the crazy thing. It worked. Isn't that crazy? Jesus said something. And he said, I'm going to give you a strategy. And you're going to do this, even though you are the most common person and the most unlikely moron to do this. I am entrusting you to advance my kingdom. And they did it. That's crazy. So like all the skeptics here, maybe, and even the skeptic parts of my heart, I would think this is a terrible strategy. Don't use those guys. They're screw-ups, Jesus. Can we not pick an elite group of people to do this? But did Jesus do that? No, he took some common folk. He said, you're going to take this message. You're going to advance my kingdom rule. So the kingdom of God, his rule, and the church then exploded. Now, there's a problem in lying, if I can give you just a tidbit of history on this fine Sunday morning. The church got a little wacko. Now, not all of them. The Roman Catholic Church began to rise in power. And the popes then saw themselves as being the ultimate authority. And if you were to question their ultimate authority, um, they wouldn't tell you, hey, can you just chill out a little bit? They would take people like Jean Hus and burn him to the stake because he would translate the Bible so that everybody could read it. And right before he's burned at the stakes, he kind of made this prophetic claim that in a hundred years, which hus, by the way, means like swan. Um, he, he told the, the, the Roman Catholic church, he's like, hey, in a hundred years from now, there will be someone who's going to be the greater swan and he's going to stick it to you. And those are Matthew Thror's uh, words. In 1517, as the Roman Catholic Church continued in their oppression of anyone who would dare read the Bible, anyone who would dare say that the Pope was not the final authority, they would find you, they would crush you, and they would burn you alive. Not until this pleasant monk named Martin Luther got so ticked off at the idea of the Catholic Church's indulgences. And the indulgences would be, hey, if you want less time in purgatory, then if you find me some riches, I will minimize your time in purgatory. You know those like gifts? You know, just like, you know the guy that like blinks his eyes? Like, at this point, this is what Martin Luther is doing. He never meant to start a reformation. Instead, he's like, I just want to talk to somebody who's higher up 
And I just want to have a conversation with them. I want to debate them. Just some random guy who, in secret, was reading his Bible and would find scriptures that we are justified by faith alone through grace alone. We would find scriptures that because of the act of repentance, we are made right before God and not some indulgences to the Pope. And so he just began to scratch his head a little bit and, and he nailed the 95 thesis on the bulletins in the church and challenged them to a debate in which they tried to out Martin Luther. But there was this powerful thing happening called the printing press and his books were spreading like wildfire. And this common little monk, God said, I'll use him. And we'll advance this kingdom of the gospel message out, which is trying to be stifled by the Pope of Rome. God would use many men like him to write the direction of the church. And years over years, times past, 500 years later, here we are living in the beneficial blessing of what now we call the Reformation. On, August, on October 31st, just God using common, ordinary people. And here we are today, continuing to be reformed into Christ's image. God's still using not some elite group of people to do this, but he's using a boy from Georgia. He's using just common people like you and I. And guess what? Common folk is a good thing. Because God does the extraordinary work through this, the common people. His kingdom advanced here now. His kingdom advanced here. And many men and women over the years would be persecuted for this message. Many would be martyred because of their witness of Jesus Christ and they would be stoned to death, thrown before lions. And then we would find a day early in church history, where we would have All Hallows Day on November 1st, where we would commemorate all of those common folk that God used. Yeah, they were burned at the stake. And Christian church would often use Eve's to go ahead and begin the celebration, therefore launched All Hallows Eve. And All Hallows Eve, the Christians would mock the kingdom of Satan you are destroyed. You have been destroyed. The darkness is no more. And now the light of Christ has come. Now we've dressed up like goblins and buffoons and things like that on all hollows Eve. But the word just means all holy Eve. Where we begin to celebrate the celebration of the light conquering the darkness. And you know, that's why they put gargoyles on these Catholic cathedrals was to mock the satanic kingdom that you've been destroyed and there is a new ruler 
and his reign is here now. Man, if I could just encourage you this morning, all of these people were just common folk who probably are thinking the same thing that you're thinking. Like, I don't even know where to begin with this. I don't even know where to start. Jesus' kingdom, this rule, what? How do I even spread the gospel? How do I tell others about the message of Jesus' saving grace? And God would just be like, yeah, I'm with you. And it won't be because of you that does it. I will do it through you. I will give you the power to take this message out. And Jesus is here now and he's with us. And that's the promise that we have. And we will be able to accomplish this. And we will be able to advance Christ's kingdom in Cedar City. And what does that look like? Remember, we're lost people are found in his grace, where dead lives come to life in Christ. And you know how God's going to accomplish this mission? Through you. So let's pray. 